All right, welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field and the classroom each week. My name is Steve, and with me we have my co-host Dan. Dan, say hi. Great to be here, Steve. Hello. And just a reminder, each episode of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com, so head over there for more information. So Dan, today we have a bunch of uh, COVID-related stuff to talk about because this is what we're dealing with. Seems like that's all we talk about anymore. Yeah. And it's been, it's been the key topic of conversation around the firehouse for like, man, six weeks? Yeah. I mean, it's getting kind of old. Yeah. It's getting really old. Um, how are your guys and gals handling it, um, where you work? You know, we're doing, we're doing really well. We have a couple of people that have it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the department itself, um, has really, really, taken uh the high ground on this they've given us covid leave no questions asked they have um supplied the best ppe that they can find mm-hmm. um so when you say covid leave COVID, what is that that is uh is it like an additional bank yeah additional bank. okay so like uh, you get sick your family member gets sick something happens doesn't have to be covid just wow. they don't want you to come to work yeah and so they're just trying to protect the masses mm-hmm and um it's really it's really been a good thing it's that extra security which sure. really really helps so these aren't hours that are like added to a sick or vacation bank they just said here's a new bank of hours here's a new bank of hours if you get this thing yep dip into it yep wow. exactly that's awesome yeah it really really is a good thing and then it's it's i don't know if you've ever responded to a disaster where uh you know, you go and you go to a foreign country, there's a natural disaster that happens and, and you get there and there's just mass destruction and everything's on the ground and people have died, but it's, it's over, right? It's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's time, happened. It's happened, right? Yeah. There's a sense of hope mm-hmm. at that point in time. You go to the firehouse and it's not, it's just another day. Let's not get COVID. Right. Let's not. Cause it's happening. It's happening and there's, yeah. there's no end in sight. Right. Which is scary. Yeah. I keep turning off the news as much as possible. Um, I can't keep up with the amount of change that happens every single day and every pretty much every hour. There's something else right. coming out. There's some new projection. Uh, someone's doing something dumb somewhere in the country. Or there's someone who is, you know, relatively famous that now has it. And, right. You know, they're telling their story and. It's just a rehashing of the same symptoms that we've been generally told these people have. Right. Um, and then you get the, the political part, you know, where you have right. 10 guys or gals, and there's going to be different sides of the, the table that people sit on, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to weave through that the entire time, mm-hmm. not to step on any toes, but yet maintain a sense of right. it's going to be okay. Because you've got people on one end of the spectrum who are like, this is dumb. We should have never closed anything. Just let this right. thin the herd. I've heard people say, which is like Many the most times. rude thing you can think of. And then there's people who are like, we shouldn't even be like looking at people. We should be sheltered in our houses, not moving. You know, like, it's both ends. Yeah, yeah. Question for you: yeah. How has uh, your response package has it been altered at all? It has. Um, so things where we're at, we had some people who were kind of jumping the gun on our management saying, hey, you know, are we going to tackle this? Because this is coming down the pipe. And I don't know if you guys are, you know, getting anything spooled up, but we need to be thinking about this kind of stuff. And 
How's it going to change our daily operations? So we had some guys on the line who were really, really, you know, proponents of getting this stuff out there early. And I think that actually helped us in the long run because we had our managers basically say, yeah, you know, we need to, we need to get the ball rolling on this. And so they got accounts of our PPE done. Uh, we put in some orders early for stuff. So we had some stuff available. We didn't run out. Um, and you know, knock on wood, we haven't run out yet. We're getting donations, but we're moving those donations to the hospital if right. we do receive them. Cause you know, we can get into this in a minute, man, but I get so tired of hearing or being compared to a nurse right now or being compared to a doc who's treating COVID patients because they have the toughest job and they are the front lines. And so, yeah, I get it. First responders, we're going on calls and I don't want to downplay it like across the country. You know, we have EMS workers who've gotten it and have died. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something I'm downplaying, but I just don't even feel like I can be put in the same camp as a doctor or a nurse right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, or, over on the East Coast, we can't be on the same, the same. Totally. <laughs> we oh are gosh. very fortunate right now. Yeah. And I've actually got a, a story about that too. So just to give people uh, a little bit of a breakdown, what we've got going on today, talk about COVID obviously. And we want to talk about information that we have gotten from reputable sources. We're not going to talk about things that are, you know, being discussed or, you know, kind of going through the rumor mill, anything like that. And then we're going to talk about our mindsets uh, around this and looking at the future of what this could, you know, potentially affect. And then we've got a couple uh, local stories to talk about. And then we've got a couple calls to discuss uh, that are COVID related. So this is more of a historical type podcast than anything. It's not meant to be a podcast that's giving relevant information for what we end up finding out, you know, six months from now because right. it's, it's, it's all coming out as we're, you know, as we're living through it and working through it. So, so I guess first things first. Um, Let's talk about what we do know. Right now, as of today, looking across the country, um, looking at CDC's website, 865,000 total cases. Uh, we've got 48,000 uh, total deaths. And looking at our state of Oregon, uh, it looks like we have a little over 2,100 reported cases. And we're sandwiched in between Washington and California, which are suffering like horribly. Right, right. And we've just recently, our governor just recently announced that pact that says we're going to be working through the most strategic process to reopen things slowly. Um, it sounds like they're going to be starting with uh, the more rural counties that maybe haven't even had a case of COVID um, or maybe one total. Right. And so interesting to see how this next month plays out for sure. You know, you're just outside Portland where you're at. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with higher populations, more densely populated areas. Right. Um, what are you seeing as kind of the major challenges that your department's facing as you respond on these calls? Well, being such a, a bigger department, we act as a lot of smaller departments. You know what I mean by that? Like this fire station is doing this, this fire station is doing that. Okay. Even though we have this direction, mm-hmm. we all need to be doing the same thing. So if I work an overtime shift in another department, which is another county or another city, mm-hmm. it, I need to be doing the same stuff there that I'm doing where I work now. And um, we're not finding that because where I work right now, we have, we we get our Tyvek suit on, Mm -hmm. we get our our P100 on, Mm -hmm. everything is slowed. What's a P100? P100 is this uh, really good respirator that goes on my SCBA mask. Okay. And so, I mean, we look like spacemen walking to these calls. 
we go to the call and everything is super slow now. And we go to the call and I'll, I won't even break the plane of the door. If the patient can walk out, mm-hmm. we have the patient walk out. Mm-hmm. Um, we limit exposure. Mm-hmm. So there's only one to two of us that even come in any contact with the patient. Mm-hmm. We'll stage the ambulance to see if we even need them. And uh, a lot of the people were just, I'm sorry, you're, you, you need to stay home. Yeah. You don't need to expose yourself or expose anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the hospital, just stay home, ride this out. Uh, if you need us, we're right up the street. We'll come right back, send you up. Yeah. And so our whole mindset has changed. So it's going to be a challenge to bounce back into right. our routine. Right. But right, I mean, like we go on a cardiac arrest and our cardiac arrests have gone way up. Mm-hmm. Strokes have gone way up. I don't know if it's because people are stressed or they're not seeking medical attention when it's needed. Um, like cardiac arrest, we will, we will, Go in our little spacesuits, grab the patient, put them on a, a mega mover, yard them outside, and work the entire code outside. Just because we have you know ten to twelve people that are going to be there, and right. just lessens exposure. Yeah. And so we're innovating outside in our SCBAs, and mm. it's it's just a different world. Yeah, it's super strange. Uh, we're definitely doing the same thing where we show up, uh, and we we even have dispatch a lot of times asking the patient if they can go outside just mm-hmm. to wait for us. Um, but we've had multiple calls where we show up, we've got, you know, these symptoms that are, you know, the ones we're looking for, right? And we walk in, we hit the plane of the door, and then if we can if we can make contact with them, hey, I know this is a weird thing, but you got to come outside. And, yep. You know, let us take a look at you. Even if it's 2 in the morning and it's cold, grab a blanket, you know, we'll do our assessment out here on your front doorstep. Right. One of the things that I wanted to discuss before we kind of get into some of the calls or the, you know, a couple of the recent things that have happened that we wanted to chat about. Um, I really have been looking at how this is going to change our mindsets as an industry. And I think it's really going to change from the ground up. People in class are going to learn it a new way. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see a total new tide, the way we look at infectious diseases, the way we look at uh, going on cardiac arrest calls, uh, the way that we look at exposure to a lot of the nastiness that humans have virus-wise and uh, disease-wise. The thing that I've been thinking about lately is those specific mindsets. So we've heard of the story of Cruz and Kirkland, who, when this was all kind of starting and nobody really had a, a plan in, in place yet, they go on a cardiac arrest of a COVID patient and they had, you know, I think it was eight to 10 people got exposed on that right. single call and they all came down with symptoms. So they had to go into quarantine and everything. Those types of things we never thought about six months ago. Not at all. I mean, not even really two or three months ago. You know, what are we, what, what are the, the new PPE mandates going to be at our department, at our state level, at, in the classroom level when people are learning this stuff? Is ACLS going to change because yeah, you have your eye pro and your gloves on, but is it going to be requiring a mask now too? Is it going to be requiring a gown? Um, are you going to have to wear stuff to cover your feet? Like all, right. all sorts of weird changes that we've never really thought about implementing. But I think in a lot of ways that can be a good thing too. Absolutely I a mean, good thing. It, it's stuff we've needed to do, but we've, we've been so dinosaur like. I'm a, I'm a seasoned this, that, that or that the other, exactly. and I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I can I can walk in and handle this. Can, um, let me tell you a quick story. Yeah, when I when I first started this this whole job back in the early '90s, it was you know we were right there in the in the AIDS epidemic, and I remember transporting a patient. I can still see his face. I can still remember his name, 
And I was in this full Tyvek suit, this huge mask, gloves, goggles. And I rem- and I was just taking him home to die. Mm-hmm. And I remember him looking at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. I, I'm not going to give you this by just laying here. Yeah. And that has stuck with me. And I think that is why my usage of PPE has gone way, way down over the years. I mean, I have the mm-hmm. reputation of the department not... Not wearing the gloves unless there's, you know, poop or lots of blood or whatever. <laughs> right? And so this has really reset yeah. how I, I think about it because I've been really, really lucky. Yeah. No kidding, right? It's really lucky. Yeah. And you think about, you know, the things that COVID is putting on the map is things like infection rates. Like mm-hmm. never really thought in my brain, you know, and I went through a, a good program. I've, I've taken good courses on, you know, from smart people on infectious diseases and, you know, various pandemics. Um, and I never really grasped the idea of, oh, hey, this is a more infectious virus. This is a, this virus they're saying is more contagious than the typical seasonal flu. And if my chances of catching the flu from a patient I was treating without this gear on is, you know, 1x, with COVID it might be 2 or 3x. And so it's it's those types of, of data points that I think are really going to help swing um, our industry into something else. Uh, and I'm excited to see what that ends up being. I think that will overall keep us more safe. I think it will overall allow us to uh, keep people, you know, around longer and, and not get sick and not spread disease. Because um, as you can, as I'm sure you recall, with SARS and a couple of these other major diseases that have come out in the last 20 to 50 years, EMS has been a vector for those. Exactly. So they're transporting patients, not taking the proper proper PPE, and they're spreading it unknowingly. Right. I think the more that we can learn about this stuff, the better the decisions we will make because of that education. And so um, I'm really hopeful that this will end up being a good thing for us. Um, Do you think that... What happened in Kirkland early on with those guys helped us as a whole. Absolutely. Because it, it shows what can It's happen. our neighboring state. Right. And, I mean, I know people that work for that department. Right. You know, and, and, and I know that I have a lot of friends and colleagues who, who have connections up there. And so that event really helped, I would say, the Northwest get their button gear. Yeah. And take this thing seriously. And I'm sure it saved some lives. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you... We can only guess what the trickle-down effect of that education was, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, changing our mindsets, changing our, our preconceived notions walking into a call. Yeah, this person doesn't have priority-like symptoms of a COVID or a, a flu-like illness. Let's just be smart and walk in with the right stuff on so that if we come across someone in the house that has that, we're not hit with a, a situation where we have to back out. Uh, one of the... One of the, you know, Dan and I are, are two very, uh, in two very different spots in our careers. I'm what, 13 years in. Dan's technically almost dead. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, uh, he's, you've technically retired and you're working back for a little bit, right? Um, with your current department, uh, which is an awesome option that you've been given, uh, which I know is kind of popular in the Northwest. I don't think it's very popular across the country. Right. I don't think so. Um, the reason I bring that up is, um, with in regards to PPE, I remember just being kind of scared into always have your PPE on in class. That really stuck with me, and it, it saved my butt on one call. 
and it saved my cruise boat on one call. And we got dispatched to a person down call. And so we're, we're heading there, lights and sirens, and then we get some updated information in route. And we were, I mean, we're talking a half mile from our station, really close. Mm-hmm. And, uh, turns out, you know, it's a, a teenager, uh, and he can't move and he's on the floor. No trauma. And so we're like, man, what the heck is going on? That just, either dispatch wrote something in the notes right. wrong, you know, they heard something wrong on the phone call, like, this can't be, we can't be going to that, because that just doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, you talk about spidey senses all the time, right? My spidey senses were going through the roof on that call. And I said, you know what, guys, before we before we head in there, let's just throw everything on. And they're like, what, like gloves? And I go, no, like everything, like a gown, eye pro, a mask, and, and put some gloves on. And they were like, I don't think they'd ever at this point done this in their career ever. <laughs> and I, at that point, I had a, a 20, 20, 25-year lieutenant with me. And the engineer was seven or eight years my senior. And these guys are like, dude, you're, I don't know what you're thinking, but like, no, like you go, you go do your thing and you know, we'll be right behind you. Right? So <laughs> roll in and uh, I'm walking up to this kid and he's laying on his back. I felt, I, I can still see his face. He just looked so scared and so hopeless. Like he was just like, I don't know what's happening to me, but this isn't right. And his parents are freaking out. He can't move. He doesn't know why he can't control his body. And he's just laid out on the floor, right? Well, my two guys behind me see the look in his face and they, they go, Hey, Steve, we'll be right back. <laughs> and they, they come back in with all their gear on, right? Well, uh, I mean, fast forward through the call. I mean, the, the kid had a, uh, you know, 104 plus degree fever. Um, his pressure was low. He felt and looked like crap. Um, and he ended up having, uh, advanced, uh, bacterial meningitis. Oh my. And so, um, he ended up losing limbs. And <laughs> I mean, we had doctor after doctor after nurse after nurse calling us to verify the amount of time that we were exposed to him because they were very, very worried about our proximity to him. And they had to, you know, quarantine his family who lived with him. And he had a, a relatively large family that he lived with. Right. And so, it was freaky, man. I mean, I'd never experienced anything like that. And I know that that call changed the way that I look at these types of calls. Um, and those two guys that went with me. Oh, I uh, bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they talk about that to this day. <laughs> Steve just got this feeling that we need to do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to go back to your original question, man, it's changed everything about what we do. And it's also rendered us down to what we were really Signing up to the job to do, right? I mean, we're, here we are treating critical patients. Here we are, um, we're still going on house fires. We're still going on, you know, smoke alarms and fire investigations and all that kind of stuff. But we're, we've really rendered down to what I would have always assumed the fire department and ambulances do across the country, right? Like, um, we still treat EMS patients. We still, you know, are doing training, but it's all about, containing this outbreak right now and do have you found is your call volume decreased our our call volume in certain areas has decreased depends on this on the district right yeah. same here but it overall it's decreased yes and that is one thing i wonder is if 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 this will hold on that the people realize if i don't need to call 911 i can i can help myself mm-hmm. you know that would be a good thing right if people are starting to 
Our country could definitely Self-care. benefit from that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a really good segue. Um, the last interesting thing that I want to bring up or chat about is I'm sitting down. It's, you know, nine o'clock at night. Um, my wife and I are watching a movie. Uh, kids are down and we're just, we're just having a chill moment. Um, in the middle of, I think we're actually watching Homeland. I don't know if you ever watched that oh, show. I love Homeland. Dude. <laughs> it's the best. I think that's our, our favorite show, you know, between the two of us. And I get this phone call from my wife's friend and she lives in New York. She's living there with her girlfriend and her girlfriend's mom lives in New York as well. And she's not feeling well. She actually, um, texts my wife's friend and says, I think I might be having a heart attack. So they, everybody's sheltered in place there, right? Right. They go hauling, you know, down to, you know, a few blocks to um, her girlfriend's mom's apartment. And she's got chest pain. She's short of breath. She doesn't look good. Um, she's been feeling this way for a couple hours. She's obviously freaked out, right? She doesn't want to want to call 911. And she's she doesn't want to go to the ER right. because she doesn't want to expose herself, right? What do they do? <laughs> They call Steve, you know, because <laughs> we, we, we know one of these paramedics somewhere across the country. Yeah. Oh, we know Steve. So I get this phone call, interrupts this, you know, really nice, you know, <laughs> night at home with the wife, chill night at home with the wife that we're having. And, uh, she goes, Hey, so sorry to do this to you, which is like the best way to start a phone call. Right? Uh-huh. Um, but I'm here with my girlfriend's mom and she's not looking good. Here's what she's going through. And there's a little bit of a language barrier um, as well. And so um, they end up calling 911 because, I mean, what am I going to do? Right? Exactly. <laughs> Even if I had all the equipment with me, right. it's not going to do me any good across the country, right? I'm at home. I'm, I'm taking this in and I said, you know, friends, you you got you to gotta get someone there if you don't want to take her in. I, I understand this is a really tough call, but uh, we're talking about potential heart muscle and, you know, a quick death versus, you know, getting some help and potentially exposing yourself to something. And, you know, you had to weigh the benefits and, you know, uh, pros and cons, so to speak. So ambulance gets there and she calls me back about, I don't know, it took like 30 minutes to get an ambulance there. Yeah. And so um, she calls me again and uh, she hands the phone to the uh, EMS provider on scene. And I go, hey, I'm Steve kind of give them my background. I go, what, what, what's 12 lead show? And uh, <laughs> this poor, poor person, she goes, sir, I'm an EMT. If you want an ALS rig in this town right now, you're talking four to five hours. Oh my goodness. That's how slammed that system has been, man. And I don't want to act like I know anything about what New York's going through because I don't. Right. Um, but they are next level up there, man. Like they are... They're doing things across their city that no EMS provider was ever asked to do ever before. And I can't imagine what it's like getting up every day, going to work in that situation, and existing in that call volume environment. Oh, that would be horrible. I mean, this was weeks ago, and I'd heard that their call volume doubled. Right. I mean, not a small amount of calls. No. And um, my wife's friend is telling me the two major things she hears at night are the 7 p.m., you know, clap for uh-huh. those on the front lines, right. you know, and thank, you know, say thanks. And then the second thing is it's nonstop, just sirens, sirens back and forth, all the time. back and forth the whole night. So 
if you are on the East Coast, if you're in New York and you're listening to this, just know that you have all of our respect and admiration right now. And uh, we we got your back in whatever way we can, you know. Absolutely. Good vibes, thoughts, prayers, you know, they're headed your way. And uh, you guys are definitely on our minds a lot as uh, you guys battle all that stuff going on. So thank you for what you're doing. So what happened? What happened? Yeah. So I guess that's the, you know, the crazy thing. Um, so she goes in, she gets checked out, and uh, she gets diagnosed with COVID. They do a test, and they do they did one of the, they have a rapid test that they tested her with, you know, right away, uh-huh. and it came back positive. So, um, and I don't know the details on the specific test she got or anything, but Overall, what I've heard is there's about a, a 75% accuracy rate with those. And so there's 25%, you know, mm-hmm. potential false positive, false negative. Well, she was given a false positive test. So she got the, the one where, you know, I forget, I don't know who makes it or what the test is, but, you know, 24 to 36 hours later, she gets it back from a lab and they go, you tested positive initially, but you do not have COVID. You need to go, so you need to go basically quarantine. 14 days at your house. Um, and this has been over 14 days. So she's doing well. Good. Um, but yeah, she went and got the help she needed. Uh, wasn't having an active MI, thank God. Good. Uh, but she was having, uh, some respiratory related problems and it sounds like just the anxiety of everything heightened oh, everything she was experiencing, right? And the stress. That's amazing. And it's crazy what that stuff does to our bodies, man. Um, so Dan, let's, let's move into uh, the call that you have, and we'll see where we are. We'll see where we're at with time. I have more of a Dan has a legit call. I have an actual story about a call that goes more into the the way that it was handled, not necessarily patient presentation and all that kind of stuff. So, but let's let's dive into what uh, you had. And so, I guess let's just start off with what were you dispatched to? We were dispatched to. It was middle of the night. We're dispatched to a breathing problem at okay. one of our. Uh, one of the care centers okay. that we have over there. We have yeah. quite a few, my first two. Yeah. And so automatically, you know, we're thinking, oh, okay, we're, we're getting ready for COVID, right? Right. Uh, so we're dispatched to a 68 year old female with shortness of breath. Okay. And so initially there's things that go on before we even get there. There's a phone call made by the officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is the patient good enough that they can meet us on the loading dock? You know, that type of stuff where you can wheel them out to the loading dock because some of our care homes do that. What's a loading dock in a nursing home? Uh, you know, like the, the, I don't know. <laughs> we so, get into that. Yeah. So like, are you talking about like, like uh, where they receive their shipments and stuff? Or are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, this patient was not well enough to do that. So we're in, this is before I had the P100, so I'm in SCBA. Okay. So you're going in like this is a house fire. Exactly. Well, Tyvek suit. In a Tyvek suit, uh, SCBA. Okay. Hooded, you know, the whole, the whole bit. Yeah. And initially just two of us went in. Okay. And so the, the two, we have a tiller truck, so the two, um, engineers, you, you know how those guys are. Right. You know, these ones at the gap yeah. anyway. Yeah. Look cool. <laughs> and so they're hanging out. Right. But they're all dressed ready to go. So we go in and luckily we're not too far into the building and, uh, I could hear her work of breathing mm-hmm. just down the hallway. And so I had the officer have them call you know, bring the other guys in. Yeah. The ambulance is still several minutes out. It's a busy night. Uh, so we go in and, um, the patient just looks horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's flushed. She, she has a fever. 
and she's short of breath, which came on, you know, this is one of those places where they, they tried the nasal cannula mm-hmm. for a couple hours and yeah. No so she, yeah. So she's uh 72% um, sats at uh, nasal cannula at two. So yeah. man, she's not doing well. She's yeah. very feverish. List among sounds. So she's very diminished in the right lower. Okay. And so there's no, had been no diagnosis of pneumonia or anything like that, but they had been so busy and there's a language barrier at the place. Right. Place anyway. So, um, so we go into the mode, like we go into the mode all the time. This is right. uh, several weeks back. Like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this patient. Yeah. So, uh, we knew, we knew that we're not going to do any, um, neb treatments. I didn't want to bag the patient, uh, because, you know, the aerosolizing stuff. Right. And so, uh, but just real quick, you're saying you're going to innovate. And I think one of the things that we do, uh, at least in the Northwest that I know, uh, which, you know, forgive me my ignorance. I'm not sure what, you know, the, the things that people are, the trigger points for innovation. Right. But the two things that we look at every single time, failure to oxygenate, failure to ventilate. Correct. Yep. You can't do those two things. It doesn't really matter anything else. We, we got to take over those things for you because if it's yep. not bad enough, things yep. are going to get really bad really quick. Exactly. Okay. And so, um, you know, we put high flow on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I all I'm thinking about is okay. I want to take our airway, but yet I want to protect our people. And right. And so I'm thinking I'm just gonna we're just gonna we're gonna take this this airway as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm in my SCBA. We get line established. Uh, we're going through the ambulance that arrived by then. Mm-hmm. So we've got, uh, our, we're, we're pre-oxygenating as much as we can with nasal cannula and a non-rebreather, both going to 15 liters per minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, SATs top out at 84%. Yeah, so I, I know, I know that we're gonna, it's gonna be a quick on that downhill slide of the, mm-hmm. what's that thing called? The, <laughs> Dan's, Dan's trying to show I'm me sorry. what he's got. Thirty years old right now. I think go to the making league. a graph. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I should so, try to act smart when I don't have a right behind. Right. <laughs> the, the, so you're talking about the downhill the desaturation slide. curve. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so, well, we know you know oxyhemoglobin curve. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. See, yeah, that's yeah. why you're five star. I'm right, only yeah. four star. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that in another episode about why Dan calls me five star. But so. You're talking about oxyhemoglobin curve and basically the reliability of that curve at certain levels, which it's basically not super reliable from our finger probes after about 90%. Exactly. Because it's worse than it probably is showing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm 72 or 84. We're right. Like, <laughs> right. We're, we're, we're behind the curve. Yeah. No so I know she's going to, to plummet. So. Yeah. Um, we don't have rock. I would have taken, I would have used rock as opposed to socks because rock uranium, rock uranium. Yeah. So I didn't take all of their, you know, her oxygen stores. Mm-hmm. So we pre-oxygenate as much as we can. I, I lay out the plan. I lay out my, I'm going to give it one shot. If it doesn't work, I'm going to put the eye gel in. Okay. So we got to hang on. We got to talk about eye gels. Real oh, quick. sorry. Cause they're new. They're new and they're awesome. They, right. I mean, we're not inflating anything. Right. There's no balloon. It's you know it's it's not a single or dual lumen nope. uh, airway device. It's basically a LMA. Yep, LMA. But it's got this gel that uh, adheres to the yeah. glottic opening. And so it, the gel is really firm when you take it out of the package, but when it goes into uh, the oropharynx, it warms up because of the the airway's temperature. Yep. And it creates a seal. Yep. 
around the entrance of the glottic opening, right? Right. They're super cool, and you know we're not sponsored by iGel, but maybe we should look into that right now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean they're they're a really cool tool, and they're quick and real quick. They're they're awesome. And one day they'll be that type of device will be first out for yeah. cardiac arrest. I mean they're they're quickly becoming that yeah that initial go to backup airway device. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. I no, keep no problem. Sorry, you got all these these hot topics to bring up, that you bring up. So I have everything out. We've communicated the plan. We're running down our checklist, uh, and I say I'm going to pull out. If I get to 82, percent I'm going to pull out. So we have a monitor technician that looks at nothing but the monitor during my awesome. innovation attempt. Attempt. Otherwise, I will plummet down into the 60s and mm-hmm. get that tube. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's all pride. We're not supposed to admit that. <laughs> so you're only giving yourself a two percent window. What's that? You're only giving yourself a 2%. Am I 84? I I thought... You said 84 and you were going to go to 82. 82. Oh, no, 80. Because I was giving myself 4. Oh, okay. I didn't want to go in the 70s. Okay. So you know that you're already low enough. Yep. You don't want to continue to go any lower. Right. And if we're honest, the second you stop oxygenating that patient, you probably have 5 seconds, 10 seconds before you start noticing a rapid decline again. Right. Yeah. And luckily we have uh, video laryngoscopes. So I had that all set up. All the tricks. And it's all going to be the preloaded bougie. I was all set and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you said preloaded bougie, Dan. Again, you just sorry. You got all these these cool things we got to talk about. So a preloaded bougie is is where you have your endotracheal tube. Mm-hmm. It's it runs over the 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 bougie, mm-hmm. which I know is a trade name, but right. What, runs over the bougie, and so it's just it's just one it's one pass. It's okay. a single pr- provider. Can you use that? I just pass it in, and then I slide it through. Okay. It's not something that you do if like, this is my first innovation. I'm gonna I'm right. gonna do a preload of bougie. Yeah. So you need to start with just the bougie. Yeah. But I just need to speed things up. Right. And so we had the BVM with peep on, mm-hmm. and a great two person, two thumbs down, hand seal. So there's no leakage of of you know germs and such out. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember, we're doing all this in SCBAs and, and right. these masks. Okay. Communication is super poor. Okay. Um, yeah. How was your visibility? Was your, were you getting mm-hmm. foggy masks? No. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so, yeah, I was lucky on that. Yeah. Uh, so, push the drugs, good seal with the peep, and so we maintain SATs, mm-hmm. and as soon as he let go of that and I entered the mouth, I didn't get two inches in there before those SATs. We're down to 80%. Yeah. And so pulled out, stuck the eye gel in. The officer says, you know what? We're only a couple miles away from the hospital. We can just do it up there. Well, just, yeah. <laughs> That's what a BLS officer gets you, right? Right. <laughs> common sense. Yeah, common sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we give them so much crap, but they save our butts so. with those words of... Uh, just wisdom in the moment. Right. Where Maybe like, he just yeah. wants to go back to bed, but yep. still, it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's a smart thing. I should. What the whole point of this is? If I had that same call today, mm-hmm. I would. I would put that P valve on. I would put the mask on, hold that seal, transport to the hospital. Yeah. Because patient ended up. You know, we had the eye gel in. Mm-hmm. Put on a ventilator mm-hmm. and died. Yeah, would probably would have died anyway, right? But probably. But yeah. with all the new studies coming out, where don't intubate your patient early. You know, right. let's see if they can self prone. Right. You know, move the lung stuff around, mm-hmm. um, and that stuff has just come out in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And so now I I do a double take on whether or not I should intubate these these 
shortness of breath patients. Mm-hmm. Cardiac arrest. COVID or not. COVID or not. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, luckily for me, I mean, we had, a, I had a good crew. We had a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately for the patient, the patient died. Yeah. But, and I think that's kind of goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago. Like this is changing so much of what we're doing and it's going to be really interesting to see what sticks right after this goes away. Um, Hopefully it's the good stuff. And I hope it's the good stuff. So one of the things that we've had uh, our medical director do is he's obviously had to, like every medical director in EMS, create some sort of tweak to how we do things to facilitate treating these patients, right? And so we're we're being told absolute last case scenario innovate. Um, don't do it early like we usually like to do right. um, to just be done with it and be managing it and check that box, so to speak. But and then if we're if we're, we have we have to basically put off any aerosolized medications, uh, if at all possible. Are you using Epi as opposed? Uh, all, all, yeah, we're using yep. Epi. We're using uh, you know. Oh, you mean in place of a duonib or something like that? Yeah. So not yeah. not aerosol, but right. I am Epi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an option. Right. Um. So we've expanded some you know some room there for that, but they're not letting us, uh, or they're they're saying basically don't give a neb unless you have to. Right. And if you have to, limit the people around it. And if you're going to withhold a neb, call us and let us know what we need to have ready, you know, so that when you show up, you know, bam, 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 we've got the next three steps ready to go right now. It's interesting times, man. Yes. Very interesting times. One of the things that um, we can't not talk about with this stuff is the way that um, – Medical providers and, you know, basically us in the fire service and uh, EMS service are being quarantined. Uh, a colleague of mine that I know went on a patient who they suspected had COVID. And he said, when, when I walked in the room, Steve, I looked at this guy and he was an elderly gentleman. I, I just thought he was dead. He was gray. He looked horrible. And uh, he lived by himself. Family hadn't seen him or heard from him for a couple of days. So they called for a welfare check and... Uh, the cops, you know, knocked on the door, broke in, noticed he wasn't doing well, and called us. So that's kind of the general gist of the call that they get sent to. They walk in, and they, you know, do a quick, you know, shoulder shake as they're walking up to him. And the guy kind of arouses a little bit, and they, they were stunned. Like, they would have put 20 bucks on the right. This guy had no pulls. Uh, ambulance crew, engine crew show up, and engine crew... This was, and I should probably set this said this sooner. This was right when this was was starting and coming out. And hey, we should probably be putting on more PPE than you know than we do on most calls. And so, engine company shows up with uh, masks and gloves on. So not it's it's more than normal. Right. But it's definitely not still the, not a you know, standard now. Uh, the new standard, right? So no high pro, no gowns, and they're helping yard this guy off the bed onto the cot. Who knows the viral load that they're kicking up in the fabrics, right. and, you know, in this room. And so the uh, paramedic that I'm, you know, my buddy who's telling me the story that was treating the patient, you know, had the wherewithal to call the doc and say, hey, man, this guy's got all the telltale signs. And um, the doc that he spoke to said, uh, basically, you know, limit your exposure, but put everything on um, in the back of the ambulance, you know, give him a NEB treatment and then just get him up here quick and I'm going to get everything ready. We'll innovate him in a controlled environment up here. So 
the engine company, though, you know, this guy ends up, you know, being admitted to the hospital. He does have COVID. He does get tested positive, and he does uh, go to the ICU. He, he he ends up recovering. Oh, good. So he gets sent home. Did have to be on a ventilator for a period of time. Uh, scary stuff. But uh, the engine company has to go and basically decide what level of quarantine you want because they, they were exposed to who knows, you know, how much of a viral load with this patient without all the gear on. So no eye pro and no gown. They did have a mask on, which, you know, in a, a legit like N95 mask. We're not talking the, right, good. you know, the, the, the cloth the mask. mask right. Yeah. And so I know one of the guys who gets uh, quarantined and uh, I'm talking to him every few days. Um, he and I are friends and uh, I'm just getting the kind of the play by play from him. He decided to, to self isolate at home. Um, he has a two story house. So, you know, he has a, a wife and kids and they just kind of left him alone, you know. And, I mean, we're talking like putting, uh, putting food, you know, like <laughs> at the end of the hallway and then like, okay, food's here. And then he has to like walk up and pick it up, you know, like he did that for two weeks and he ended up not catching anything. You know, he, he had to get a test after a couple mm-hmm. weeks, but he had two negative tests and they did everything they were supposed to do based off of what we know now, right? Or knew at the time. But I, I guess I'm curious what his quarantine looked like for you. And what options are available? And so we've had. It seems like it's different everywhere. It is different, and our our department has has done the same thing. They have uh, places. They have places set aside. So if if our fire station, if we have two or more that get con- contaminated mm-hmm. people, they will shut the fire station down and then move those people somewhere else. Oh, wow. And so they have other places that uh, they have just for. The employees, mm-hmm. just just like the, your place, where they will send the employee there for for two weeks, which I couldn't even imagine. I, I couldn't imagine two weeks. I don't know what I'd do. I, would. I mean, in a lot of ways, it kind of sounds like a vacation. <laughs> it does. I mean, can you imagine the Netflix. I think I get watch? sick of crushing Netflix that much, though. God, I've never tried it. I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather send my family away. And they I just have the house to myself, right. work outside, yeah, and go exercise, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there are some people in our department that actually park their travel trailers outside. They have at-risk people at uh, in their house. Okay, asthma patient, uh, kids, or whatever. Yeah. So they will. They just go to work. They come back and they sleep in the trailer. Oh wow! So that's without any exposure. That's just mm-hmm. cautionary. Yeah. Which would be. That's not. That's pretty smart, actually. That is. Really I like smart. that option a lot. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have that available to them, but I mean, no. that's pretty, that's pretty cool if you do. So Dan, I think, I think that's all we've got for this episode, man. But I guess I just want to leave people with, I think the, the best thing I've heard was from an elderly person in my neighborhood. And she said, she, she's, she's old, man. I mean, she's in her mid nineties. And she was telling me the other day of all the stuff she's lived through, right? Mm-hmm. She still gardens and gets around. Like, you know, she's just one of those all-stars, right? And she's telling me she's lived through world wars. She's lived through all sorts of crises, all sorts of economic unknowns mm-hmm. and downturns. And she just reminded me that this too shall pass and our country will be better for it in the end and we'll be smarter for it. And we're going to make good educated decisions as a whole based off of this she said don't do anything more than today she said oh, uh, man you're only guaranteed today tomorrow's never been guaranteed no matter how you've lived your life up until now 
um, whether you have COVID or you don't. You only have today. Uh, and don't live your life worried about tomorrow, next week, you know, next month. Focus on what's in front of you. Focus on your family, your loved ones, your friends. And if you can keep your mind occupied with the good in your life, she said, you're going to come out the other end just fine. Oh my gosh. It was like, oh my God. I hope that's what you are. Cause that is, that is great information. I know, right? Um, that really helped, especially in the early, uh, early weeks of this, you know, a month or so ago, plus, you know, all the unknowns and everything's, you know, even crazier at that point. Uh, it really helped frame, uh, put me in a good mental framework. Good. Um, so. And I feel this is good for our kids. My kids, you know, my wife's going crazy. She's going to make the national news here pretty soon. <laughs> but, but they're, you know, they're 22, 20, and 17. Um, right. But this has been good for them because it's brought our family closer together. Yeah. And it's also made them realize that, you know, not, it's not always hunky dory. Yeah. You know, bad yeah. things happen, but this is, this is how you get through it. Mm-hmm. And you gotta, you gotta celebrate the good days, man. When you, when things are going well, it's so easy to take it for granted. Oh, I, I got another good one coming tomorrow. It's like, Man, sit on today and enjoy it and just marinate on the good people you have around you. There's so much to be thankful for in this season. So uh, we'll leave you with that. Uh, so thanks for listening. We're going to bring you more episodes. Uh, this was kind of obviously a break from our scheduled uh, regularly planned episodes where we talk about classroom stuff and we talk right. about a couple of scenarios and we move on. But uh, we felt it was really necessary to talk about this a uh, major event that's, uh, you know, drastically affecting our, our industry. So uh, we hope you learned something and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the next one.